you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Um, ironically enough, today's message is about not having to have everything perfect, right? Yeah, so shockingly enough, so like, thanks Lord, great, <laughs> but it's okay because I think, again, I think what God says is, more, is, is so important and he wants us to hear it. Um, a number of years ago, <clears throat> when, um, we, after we had just started Parkway Fellowship, we had this big church event, I don't even remember what it was, we had a big church event, but Amy, my wife, wasn't able to go because she had to stay home and take care of our two-month-old daughter, Elizabeth. And so the next Sunday, some, a, a lady came up to my wife, Amy, and said to her, she said, look, now that you're a pastor's wife, you need to start going to these kinds of things because people are watching. <laughs> well, my wife, uh, now... When she responded to this lady, she didn't respond it rude. And, there's, and I, it's going to come across rude. But when Amy said it, it's not that way. So just, you know, this is the man part of me coming out. Um, so my wife turned to this lady and she said, well, now that I am a pastor's wife, I'm not going to be at everything. Sometimes I need to take home, be home and take care of my family. But if you want to put our family in a fishbowl, that's fine. But you need to remember, our fish <laughs> and now, when and, and now Amy didn't say it rudely, but when she told me the story, I was like, "Oh!" I was like, "That's awesome! Way to go, baby! That's really good." But look, here's what you need to understand: like our family's not perfect. It's not our, our family's not perfect at all. I mean, Amy and I, we get into disagreements from time to time, but look, we always work it out, and we always end up doing whatever it is that she wanted to do anyway, right? I mean. My family's just like your family, right? And our, our kids aren't perfect. Our kids disobey. I mean, they get sassy sometimes. And Amy and I, we have struggles and strains about, you know, finances and making sure we get our kids from this practice to that game to that rehearsal and, that, and just trying to coordinate all those kid activities and stuff. I mean, we struggle with all the same struggles that everybody struggles with. And sometimes we have people that we really love and care about. They'll say things that hurt our feelings, and sometimes I'll say things that hurt somebody else's feelings. Which, by the way, let me just, I, I, I do want to pause right there for just a second. If I have said something in the past that has hurt your feelings, I want you to let you know, I'm very sorry for that. Um, it was completely unintentional. And so if I've hurt your feelings, please, would you forgive me for that? And I'm asking for your grace. Because I promise you, it was, it's been completely unintentional. I would never, ever do that. See, my, my point is, like, I'm not perfect. My family's not perfect. None of us are perfect. And sometimes um, we think, or people think that, you know, well, Mike, because you're a pastor, you live this blessed life that's problem-free. Okay, well, that's not true, I can assure you. Now, I do live a blessed life, but it's not problem-free. 
In fact, living a life blessed by God doesn't mean that it's not problem-free, but it does mean that when I do experience problems, I have God's presence, and I have his guidance, and I have his blessing, and I have his, his favor on my life so that he can help me work through those problems. That's what it means to have a blessed life, okay? And uh, sometimes I think we live with this expectation that our lives have to appear perfect, you know, that we have, to, we have to have it all together. And the reality of that is magnified at Christmas time because at Christmas time we receive these cards in the mail with all, with these pictures of these perfect looking families where everybody's hair is perfect and their smiles are perfect. I mean, even their dogs look like they're smiling, right? In these, in these, and, and that kind of perpetuates this image like, oh my gosh, I've got to have a perfect images of family too. But, it's, but we don't. In fact, let me tell you something funny. A number of years ago, when our kids were really small, Libby was, I think, two. Ben was barely a year old. We were going to take that you know, like perfect family picture. And so we had the kids with their cousins. Um, do we have the happy picture? Do we, could, we ha- do we, let's put the happy picture up. This is the happy picture. This is literally, we were, we were moments away from getting all three of the kids to smile. That's Libby in the middle. That's Ben on the far side, and this is their cousin here. So we're gonna take this cousin picture. So we're just about to, and Libby's got her arms around both kids. Well, literally, one second after we snapped this picture, Libby lost her balance and she flipped off the back of the bench they were sitting on, but because she had both the kids around the neck, she flipped both of them off too, and then here's the picture we got after that. Yeah, that's what we got. <laughs> and we have, so we've got 30 of these, like this is where all the pictures came out after that, just like this, because they were just calling, and get this, this sort of thing doesn't change as they get older. We posed for another family portrait last year, here's what we got. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that fabulous? Yeah. So look, all right, you, we can take that down now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, look, so the point is my family's not perfect. None of our families are perfect. And so to live under this pressure that we've got to appear perfect, I'm telling you, that's a heavy burden to live under. I mean, it, it really is. And here's the thing. People don't believe that our families are perfect anyway. You know why? Because all fish poop. All of them do. There's no such thing as a perfect family. But trying to maintain a perfect image is something that the devil wants you to try to maintain because he knows that that is a crushing weight to try to live under. And it will steal our joy and our happiness faster than anything else. And it'll ruin Christmas. And it'll ruin a picture-perfect family from the inside out. And it gets our eyes off of Christ at Christmas time. So, God doesn't want that to happen. And so he gives us some things to prevent that. So go ahead and pull out your message notes. And let's start by asking this question. What are the my family is perfect Grinches? And what does God want me to do? Well, the first Grinch is the perfect image Grinch. It's the perfect image Grinch. Even Mary and Joseph on that very first Christmas, they had to fight. They had to fight this perfect image Grinch. Let me, let me show you. Um, we pick up the story just after the angel has told Mary that she is about to become pregnant 
even though she's never had sex and she's not married. So here's, here's what happened. Let me turn my Bible around the right way. Um, in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, here's what happens. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who has also, has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. So here's Mary. She's this wholesome, godly, upstanding, well thought of, admired young lady in the community. Which, by the way, is exactly why God picked her to be the mother of Jesus. But Mary knew that what was about to happen was going to be scandalous. She knew, she looked, she knew what people were going to think about her and Joseph. She also knew that the line of, no, no, it was God that made me pregnant, was not going to fly for most people. So this picture-perfect image of who she was like, that was about to disappear. Even though she'd never done anything wrong. Even though she was completely innocent. Even though she had done everything that God had asked her to do and she was obedient. But she knew that this picture-perfect image was about to be shattered. And look what she, she says to the angel. Look at her response. Look at how she handled it. She says this, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. See, the Grinch of the perfect image tries to get you to believe that you've got to impress other people by being perfect. You know, that the decorations are perfect, that the kids are perfect, that the job is perfect, that the career is perfect, that the hair is perfect, that the body is perfect, that everything in our house and our, our lives are just perfect, 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 perfect. When inside you know that it's not. Like you know that it's not perfect. Now, look, don't misunderstand. I'm not suggesting that we all begin to like tweet out all of our personal private sins, okay? I'm not suggesting that. But what I am saying is exactly what God is saying. And God is saying this to you, and, and this is the part I want you to fill in. To those whose lives are not perfect, the Lord says, nothing is impossible with me. You need to hear that. That God says, nothing is impossible with me. In fact, I want you to look at what the angel says to Mary in verse 37. Go back up and look at it. The angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. I want you to underline verse 37. He says, nothing is impossible with God. Because look, I don't know what, look, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what's been going on in your life. I don't know if it's a job loss from this past year because of the economy. I don't know, maybe you have a teenager that um, has gotten out of control. Or maybe you have a grandchild that is on a very destructive path and you can see it, but they can't see it and they don't want to see it. Maybe, maybe there's distance in your marriage and you don't know how that distance has happened. You definitely don't know how to get it back. Maybe there's addiction in your family and it's on the verge of ruining the holidays for everybody. I mean, I don't know what's going on in your fishbowl. But whatever it is, you need to remember the words of the angel. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And you know, honestly, perhaps that's what you need to hear most this Christmas. Maybe you need to hear these words of hope. That nothing is impossible. That means that 
things don't have to stay as they are. That you don't have to just accept this as your new norm, that this is how it's going to be. Because I'm telling you, nothing is impossible with God. So what you need to do is you just say, okay, God, I can't fix this. I can't alter this. I can't help this. I can't adjust this. I don't know what to do with this. And so I'm just going to give it to you because I know with you, nothing is impossible. And so I put all of this in your hands. I'm not perfect, our family's not perfect, but nothing's impossible with you, and so our hope is only in you. Which, by the way, this whole idea of I'm not perfect, so therefore I need God, that is central to Christianity. In fact, Christianity is predicated on that whole thought because Christianity basically says, Jesus, I'm not perfect, I need a savior. And so I need you in my life to save me from my sins so I can go to heaven when I die and give me the strength to follow you from that day forward. That's what Christianity is. That's how you become a Christian. You become a Christ follower. You become a Christian by saying, Jesus, I need you to save me from my sins. So I need you to come into my life to forgive me and give me the strength to follow you from this day forward. Have you ever done that? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to come in your life to do that? If you've never have, there's a prayer. It's at the, on the back of your message notes at the bottom. If you've never prayed that prayer, but you're ready to pray that today, I want you to take a moment, and I want you to pray it right now. Pray that prayer right now. Okay. The second Grinch that tries to steal Christmas from us is this. It's the, I would not choose this path, Grinch. It's the, I would not choose this path, Grinch. Okay, now, at this point, Mary and Joseph, in their lives, Jesus has already been born. They've already been warned that King Herod is going to try to kill the child, and so they have fled to Egypt to escape. Now, King Herod, about a year later, King Herod has died, and it's time for Mary and Joseph to begin to go back to Israel. So here is what happens next. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. After Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Okay, I want you to underline verse 20, uh, this first sentence of verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Underline that. It's very important. We're going to get back to it in a second. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Okay? Now, clearly, Joseph and Mary had planned to settle in the region of Judea when they returned. And by the way, in this region... That's where the cities of Jerusalem and Bethlehem are located. And look, and we already know that Joseph has family in Bethlehem. So it's likely that Joseph was planning to go back to Bethlehem, you know, hang out with some family, be near some family, but yet maybe open his own carpentry shop for himself. But he realized that Archelaus has now taken reign in place of his father, and Archelaus was a dangerous and cruel ruler. And Jerusalem was only six miles away from Bethlehem. They're very close. 
And so he knew that that close proximity would be dangerous for he and his family. So Joseph and his family decided not to return to Bethlehem, but instead to go to Nazareth, which is like 90 miles to the north. We also know from the culture of their day that adult children who lived in the same town as their families um, generally would live with their parents in the same house if there was room. And if there was room, they would simply add on a room to their house. So it's most likely that Joseph and Mary and their new baby moved in with Joseph's mom and dad or maybe added a room onto their house and lived there. But, look, we know from what we underlined that moving back in with his parents in Nazareth was not Joseph's first choice. He wanted to strike out on his own. He, he, he didn't want to go back to his hometown. But that's not how it worked out. In fact, there's a lot of things in Joseph's life that weren't, didn't work out like he had planned. Okay, get this. Mary got pregnant before they got married. They had to travel to Bethlehem when Mary was nine months pregnant to pay taxes. Ugh. Jesus was born in a barn. They had to flee the country because someone was trying to hunt their child down to kill him. And now they're moving back and they can't settle where they want to. Instead, they've got to move in with Joseph's parents. Things are not working out like Joseph had wanted. This is not the path that Joseph would have chosen for his life. But did Joseph let it ruin his life? No. Did Mary let it ruin her life? No. In fact... Mary and Joseph go down in history as some of the greatest people because of their faith in following God. So here's the lesson that God has for us this morning. This is the part I want you around. This is your fill-in. Who I am is more important than where I am. Who I am is more important than where I am. Because look, we don't remember Mary and Joseph for where they lived. I mean, where they lived in Nazareth or where they lived in Bethlehem. Who cares? It doesn't matter. We remember them for who they are and for you. The path that you have been on in life may or may not have been the path that you would have chosen for yourself. But look, you cannot let that ruin your life. Because in the end, it's not even going to matter. It's not going to matter to anyone, including yourself. See, because it's not where you are that's important. It's who you are that's important. Look, I, I know some of you, you wouldn't have chosen the path that you've been on. You would not have chosen the path of divorce. You would not have chosen the path of bankruptcy. You would not have chosen the path of moving back home. You would not have chosen the path of infertility or illness or singleness. And the truth is, if you were mapping it out, your life would probably look a whole lot different. But don't let the Grinch of, I would not have chosen this path, don't let that Grinch ruin your joy 
or your future. Because after all, most of the things that have happened, you couldn't have done anything about them anyway. And that's true for Mary and Joseph. They couldn't have done anything about what happened to them anyway. But the good news is, you will not be remembered for where you spent time on the path. You're not, you're not going to be remembered for where you lived or where you moved or where you went to school or where you worked. None of that's going to matter. What's going to matter is who you were when you were at those places. That's what's important. Let me give you an example so you'll understand what I'm talking about. Let's just use the example um, of those who are single who want to be married. Okay? So singleness is not the path that you would chosen for yourself, but it's just the path that you're on. Okay? So let's just say for those people who are single that want to be married, as an example, that at some point in time you get to the right place at the right time and you meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright because they're there. Like that's going to be great. Right? Right. Okay? But think about this. What if, what if you get to the right place at the right time and you meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, but you are the wrong person? That you've paid little to no attention to developing your character, your faith, who you are as a person. If that happens and you arrive at the right place at the right time and you meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, I'm telling you, that, and you're the wrong person, that moment will pass you by. Now look, don't let that discourage you too much because remember what the angel said to Joseph and Mary, that all things are possible with God. And so I believe that God could create another right time, right place type of moment for you. But my point is, is this, is that you have to pay closer attention to who you are. Because who you are is what matters. Because look, you can't, you can't control being at the right place or the right time or having Mr. Right or Mrs. Right show up. You can't control any of that. The only thing that you can control is who you are when that happens. And the good news is, is that God is giving you the freedom in this life to choose to be the person that he has always wanted you to be. And that's the part that matters anyway. Because look, it is completely inconsequential whether Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth or whether they lived in Bethlehem. Because who cares? It doesn't matter where they were on the path. It only matters who they are when they were at those places on the path. What does matter is that they were the type of people who took Jesus to the synagogue every week. That they were honest. That they followed God's laws. That they were upright and loving and accepting and faithful and steadfast said fast, those are the things that really mattered. So look, stop focusing on the, I would not have chosen this path for my life. Stop focusing on that. It doesn't matter. It is completely inconsequential. What does matter is who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. Who you are is what is important. And how do you focus on who you are? You focus on who you are by doing the things that God has told you to do. Because my commitments shape my character. I want you to write that down. It's not a fill anywhere, but just write it down. Write down. My commitments shape my character. It's true. Let me show you what I mean. Because when you commit to remain faithful to your spouse, that shapes your character into someone who's steadfast. 
when you commit to always tell the truth no matter what, it shapes your character into trustworthiness. When you commit to give to the Christmas offering, it shapes your character into one of generosity. When you commit to read the Bible, it shapes your character into one of spiritual growth. When you volunteer at church, it shapes your character into one of serving. When you commit to obey God, it shapes your character into one of faithfulness. Because look, your commitments shape your character. Your commitments shape your character. And in the end, that's what's going to matter the most anyway. In the end, that's what's going to affect the direction of your life the most. In the end, that's what's going to affect your kids the most. In the end, that's what your grandkids are going to talk about the most. In the end, that's what Jesus is going to reward you for in how you lived your life. In the end, that is what is going to make your life so much better because it's not where you are, it's who you are. That's what matters. So look, make a commitment to be the kind of person that God's calling you to be. Make a commitment that you're, because it's your commitments that shape your character. And don't let, don't let these grinches of needing to appear perfect, like you've got it all together, don't let that steal the joy away from you. And don't let the grinches of, like, well, this is the path I would have chosen. Don't let that steal the joy of Christmas from you. Instead, choose to follow God, choose to follow Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because that shapes who you are and that's what matters in the end anyway, right? I want to bow your head, close your eyes. Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, I, I, I want to thank you. Thank you for all the times when things just don't go perfectly in life. And I really mean that. Thank you for the times when things don't go perfectly. Because it reminds us that we rely and depend upon you. And it also reminds us that it's not about where we are on the path. It's really about who we are. And that you would use those imperfect times to shape us and mold us and make us into better men and women. And so, Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for those imperfect times. And I ask that you would help all of us during this Christmas season to focus on who you are as you focus on developing who we are. And so I ask that you would do all this for your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.